praying that together in song today. We'll, uh, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 11. Glad we can be here to do that together, kind of by, by way of introduction to it. Um, I just want to talk about uh, a couple of things that I think will help us kind of better connect with what we're about to read. So um, I'm a little tired even this morning. We had, we had uh, you know, when families get bigger, it's harder to get together. And we looked at my extended family's schedule. It's now 24 of us from my parents on down. They have four kids. We have kids. There's 24 of us. And we found there was one 24-hour period during the summer where we could all be in the same place at the same time. And it was 2 o'clock Friday till 2 o'clock on Saturday. So we squeezed as much as we possibly could into that amount of time. Uh, and it was good to be together. One of the things we squeezed into that amount of time was that we had a photographer come and take a family picture. And our kids are on the older end. So you can imagine how that goes with a bunch of little kids, uh, some shy, some wanting to cling to mom and dad, some trying to hold each other, like all sorts of stuff. 14 kids uh, trying to get a picture taken and that kind of stuff. The My sister-in-law at one time, uh, towards the beginning of our time together, told the photographer, hey, if you need anybody to tell everybody what to do, this is your guy. And she pointed at me uh, because she has gotten to know me over time and knowing that I don't have a problem telling people what to do. And that can sometimes, in a context like that, be helpful to have somebody who's going to vocalize and say, this is what you should do. Uh, I am the oldest, you're probably not surprised to know that, of, of four children. And so we have a picture on the screen of that's me. Uh, with, it was probably when I was 10, I suppose, or something like that. Two younger brothers and, and a younger sister. And so that's the family I grew up with. Um, and one thing I learned in being the oldest is that I kind of naturally, I think like all kids, we're sinners, right, by nature and by choice, that I grew up with a strong desire to have things my way. I had this thinking in my mind, like I think a lot of kids have, that if things go my way, I'm going to be happy, and I think everybody else will too. And so I could use my position of power and influence as the oldest child in the family to get what I wanted, thinking uh, that that was going to make everybody happy. I was very naturally selfish and prideful. By God's grace, uh, later on in life, God saved me, And those kinds of things, those naturally selfish desires and pride in my heart, didn't immediately disappear, right? Those are things that God continues to work in me, which has made this passage in Philippians 2, throughout almost my whole life uh, as a Christian, have been uh, some of my favorite and most humbling and convicting words in all of Scripture. And so I'm very grateful. Just to give you some personal context, this is, this is helpful and needful over and over again for me. I hope it's going to be helpful. I think it's needful for us. Uh, there's, there's, there's very few passages because we go through a whole book of the Bible, we get to the end and we start another book. Uh, there's very few passages that I have preached more than once. I actually preached this passage, though, just about a year ago in May of 2020. Um, because there was a, like four or five times during the pandemic when I just thought, you know what, I need a break from the series we're in and we need to address the church about certain things. And this is a passage that, that I think was especially needful at that time. What's happened since then is, is a lot of circumstances have changed. God's word hasn't changed. Circumstances have. And also I've been able to study in doing a, a, one of the benefits of doing a series through a book of the Bible is I get to know the, 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 the scripture better and hopefully we'll, we'll preach it a little bit better and more accurately this time than I did about a year ago. And certainly the application of it 
because we're living in different circumstances right now, is going to be a little bit different as well. But we've been going through this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. He had been with them, planted the church there, seen the first converts there in Philippi, and then now, about 10 years or so later, from Rome as a prisoner, writing a letter back to the church in Philippi. And it's been really good to go through so far. And in today's portion of the letter, we're going to see how Paul shares with the church there, here's how you're going to make me joyful. Right? Here's how, here's how I am going to, uh, my joy is going to be completed, not when I get my way, but when I see these things happen in the church. And so I think it's going to be uh, very applicable and helpful for us in our context, in our day right now, because we are people who are, again, naturally selfish, probably dealing with a lot of pride uh, that's residual in our hearts. Uh, and no doubt there are people here today who have yet to put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I'm so grateful, even for through how, how Bob prayed and how the worship team led, how the gospel has been made clear uh, so far already as we've gathered together. But now I'm looking forward to just opening up God's Word. I'm going to read, going to preach inside your, uh, ser- your bulletin as a sermon notes page uh, that might help as you follow along. If you're able to, would you stand? as we read God's Word. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, we, we just already prayed uh, together through song that you would speak, O oh Lord, uh, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. God, I pray that you would be renewing our minds, uh, that even just right now our attention uh, that is sporadic and and hopping all over the place all the time, that you would help us to be here uh, right now, that you would help me. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity that that I've had to study this a little more. I thank you for the way you've used this passage in my life to mold and shape me and to convict me uh, and to help me exalt in Jesus who is our Lord and Savior over and over again, and I pray that might be one of the results of our time together this morning. Help me to say uh, what is true. Thank you that we know that what I'm about to read from your word is uh, completely and entirely uh, true because it is yours. And so thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Help us to hear it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You can be seated. 
I love this passage. And, and even how Paul begins the passage with the word so, remember he didn't write chapter uh, and, and verse numbers, so this is just a letter continuing from what we saw last week where he really introduced this theme of unity in the body of Christ, even in the face of opposition and suffering and those kinds of things. Then he says this, so... And then he has this list of four things, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Really all four of those things pointing to this reality that this is who they are as the church. If they are people who by God's grace have been saved, they are people who are and have been experiencing encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. So he's saying, if this is your experience, this is, this is what it's like to be the church, you're experiencing these things. If you are in Christ, right? That's a phrase that gets used all throughout Scripture, all throughout the New Testament, to point to those who are Christians. We're called those who are in Christ. If this is you, then here's what I want for you. And Paul lets them know that this, in part, would be something that would complete his joy. Certainly, it's been a joy for Paul to experience how how they've, they've experienced all of these things in verse 1 already because they are in Christ. But now he's about to say, here's what I want you to do to complete my joy. And now he's got another list of four things. Look at verse 2. There's kind of this list of four things there. And if I had to summarize what he's saying, kind of putting those all together, it would be this. Be unified. You want to make me, Paul, joyful. You want to complete my joy, then do it by being unified. Here's specifically how he says that. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Now recall that the church in Philippi is a diverse church. Lots of people, lots of different backgrounds, surely lots of different opinions about lots of different things. But he's calling them right off here to be people who are together on something. What binds them together is Jesus, and he's calling them to be like-minded, to have the same mind, to have the same love, to be in full accord and of one mind. He's calling them to unity. Right? So that's what he's calling the body of Christ there in Philippi 2. And then verses 3 and 4, we see the second thing he's calling them to. Do nothing. So here's what would be natural. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Right? So, so the idea of like, I, I'm motivated and some, like you're competitive, right? So, uh, so I'm just naturally competitive. I want to do well. And in part, I've got to be honest, one of the reasons I want to do well is I want to do well so that people know that I did well, right? That, that's, so, so selfish ambition or conceit, like today when we play our final softball game, which by the way, we're two and one, we've won two, lost one. Today, like, I want to win. Like, I want to do what, like, that, that's just kind of this, this drive. Is that wrong to be competitive? I, I don't think so. But can it sometimes be motivated by selfish ambition or conceit? Yes. Right? That, that's, that's natural to be motivated by selfish ambition or conceit. But Paul is saying we're different now. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But listen to this. But in humility, count others 
more significant than yourselves. So to be able to look at others, because again, naturally, I count myself as the most significant. I'm going to make decisions that are good for me. I'm going to think that what I think is right and what other people think are like, but what if, what if I counted others more significant than myself? What would that look like in marriage, right? What would that look like in our family? What would it look like with your siblings? What would it look like at work? But Paul is specifically talking about what would that look like in the church? if we had a whole bunch of people that counted others more significant than ourselves. Some of our opinions, some of our preferences would kind of fall to the wayside, right? Verse 4, he goes on, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We live in a kind of me-first kind of world, and we naturally, in our sinful flesh, are me-first kind of people looking to our own interests first and the others later, right? But he's saying we can, we can live different now that we're in Christ. We're not looking to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. In a world that says, how's this going to benefit me? We're going to be people that say, how does this benefit others? So I've shared this example uh, probably a number of years ago now, but when I think of humility, so he's calling us be unified and be humble. Every once in a while, God gives us some glimpses of like work that he's doing in people. I, I, I got to be honest with you. When I was a youth pastor, I didn't expect to see a lot of examples of humility when I accompanied middle school students year after year to camp and to a retreat. A lot of times what I did see, honestly, is selfishness and also like, you know, that sinful nature just kind of coming out. And when they got tired, it got worse. But I also remember this one time. Where in so I stayed in the cabin with the kids, and I remember one time I was out of the cabin for a bit, and when I came back in, something had happened where a kid from a different cabin came in, and he'd been picking on a kid, a younger kid. I don't even remember his name in in the cabin that I was in charge of. And one of the things that he had done to this kid uh, is is spray him with water. I can't remember exactly how it all worked, but anyway, this kid it was a winter retreat, so it was cold. He got wet. And his sleeping wet bag got totally soaked. And this kid, who had been picked on in front of the other kids, was humiliated. So he was crying and he was wet. And so I went to deal with talking to the other kid's counselor, saying, you got to deal with discipline issue here with this kid. And I went to talk to the kid uh, in my cabin who was crying and humiliated with the wet sleeping bag. So we were talking in a, in a different room so I could try to comfort and encourage him. And one of the coolest things I ever saw... I came back to that cabin, and there was a young boy named Andrew. He was a 7th or 8th grader, and what he had done while we were out is he took his dry sleeping bag and put it on this kid's bunk, and he took this kid's wet sleeping bag and got in it and slept the rest of the night in that kid's wet sleeping bag so that this kid could have a dry sleeping bag. That's a convicting example of a 7th or 8th grader looking not only to his own interests but to the interests of others of counting somebody else more significant than himself. And that was a beautiful thing to see. Every once in a while we get glimpses of that, right? Of, of real humility. And that's an encouragement to us. But it doesn't matter how many like goosebump raising, inspiring stories you hear of humility. For the most part, hearing all those is not going to motivate us in the end towards humility. We can't just kind of will ourselves to be more humble. Pride is strong. 
Where's our hope? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How, How does the church become, well, naturally motivated by selfish ambition and conceit, filled with pride and selfishness? How does the church become unified and humble? It is by putting on something which is already ours. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul is talking to the church here. And he tells the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Those who have repented of sin and trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's a, there's a, a, a huge reality shift that has taken place. We're no longer our old self. We're a new self. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. He even says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we have the mind of Christ. So naturally, this is not the way we think, but this is who we now are in Christ. Verse 5, again, have this mind, or your translation might say have this mindset, or it might say have this attitude, right? So, so we're now looking at things in a totally different way. Why? Not, not because of anything other than this is now ours in Christ Jesus. We're a new creation. We now look at everything in a different way. Have this mind among, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Some of you are aware that uh, in July, uh, the, year, the, the, the leaders in the church encouraged me to go away for a week every year and go to a conference or something where I'm just getting filled up. This year I'm doing something different. I'm going on a backpacking trip with some other pastors uh, in the Rocky Mountains. And so I'm borrowing a bunch of equipment uh, from Stephen Alley Campbell. And one of the things that was given to me before even this trip was this uh, waterproof jacket. And I have this list of, here's a bunch of things you're going to want to take with you on this backpacking trip. Um, and one of the things on that list is a waterproof jacket. And so that's already been given to me. So I already own one of those. And that's going to come with me in my backpack. It's already mine, right? But, but if there's a forecast or the clouds are looking like rain is going to be coming in, in order for that to do its job, I'm going to need to put that on me. Like, it's not going to be any good if it's in Stephen Alley's backpack on my back. It's going to have to be on me. The same kind of thing that I think we're seeing here in verse 5 is this mind, this new kind of attitude that's not motivated by selfishness and pride, but instead by unity and humility, That is the mind of Christ that's already been given to you. Now, put it on. Like, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right? So, that's the first five verses. If we are in Christ, we have been given the mind of Christ, which now looks at ourselves and others in a different way, characterized by unity and humility. Application point here before we move on. We have, I think, a great opportunity in our culture because there's not many places in the world around us where what you see is unity and humility. If you want to look at the world around us, there's a lot of places you can look to see division and pride, right? But not a lot of places to look 
in which we see unity and humility. I would love to see the church be a place that's just abnormally humble and unified, right? Acknowledging, again, we're lots of different people. Like, like I talked about last week, right? We got old people, young people. I went through that list of all the different kinds of people that are a part of our church. We have different perspectives on all sorts of different things. But what if, what if we uniquely, uh, in contrast to the, the world around us, we were people who have been given the mind of Christ and are putting that on, and having that mind among ourselves, that attitude that brings us together in unity and humble service to one another that looks abnormal to the rest of the world. So, so we could ask ourselves questions that assess. Questions like, okay, so 2020 was challenging. That was a year where we saw a lot of division and pride, right? Just generally in our culture. How, how did we do as a church? Right? Were we, as a church, remaining under the Lordship of Christ, those who could be characterized as bringing joy to one another by living together in unity and humility, counting others more important than ourselves, looking not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others? How did we do at that? I, I don't know. I'm not going to answer that question, because I, I mean, probably okay, and probably we could have done better, right? So... I want to do better, like corporately as a church. I want to do better individually. Like I, I don't want to tell you, like, here's what I was like as a kid, and then God saved me, and now I'm fine. I don't deal with pride or selfishness or selfish ambition or conceit anymore. That's not it. I do, right? I do, we do. How do we continue growing in unity and humility in the body of Christ? Well, here's how we do it. This is what we see in the last verses here. We look to Jesus. That's what Paul directs them to. He's like, here's what I want to see in you. You complete my joy by being like-minded, by having like all these, complete my joy by doing those things. But in the end, what is Paul, how is Paul going to motivate the church to do what they need to do? He tells them to look at Jesus, right? Christ Jesus, look at verse 6 now. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Right? Bob referred to earlier when he was praying, John chapter 1, where we see both of these things on display. Jesus, the eternal Word of God, by whom and through whom all things were created, but also one who takes on flesh and dwells among us. Fully God, fully man, Jesus humbling himself, being born in a manger, tempted in every way just as we are, right? All of those things. So we see the humility of Jesus in the incarnation. That is Jesus taking on flesh. That's what incarnation means, right? The taking on of flesh. As Jesus comes, the eternal Son of God comes and is born uh, as a baby and grows up and does his ministry and suffers and is tempted in every way. All those things, right? That's where we see the humility of Jesus. And we see the humility of Jesus in the crucifixion. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? So, Jesus, the King, is mocked, spit upon, beaten, 
humiliated, nailed to the cross for a public execution. So we see the humility of Jesus in the crucifixion, but even more so in this, that on the cross, Jesus is bearing all of our sin. And Jesus, the eternal Son of God who had lived for all of eternity in loving unity and fellowship with the Father, so submitted to His Father's will that He bears all of our sin and absorbs all of the Father's wrath as He hangs there on the cross. And so if we want to know what humility is, we look to Jesus. That's the application point. You want to know what humility looks like? Look to Jesus. Jesus who humbled Himself by being born and being tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. By Jesus who willingly gave Himself up to die a cruel death crushed by the wrath of the Father because He was willingly bearing our sins in His body on the tree. We have no hope apart from Jesus. Jesus who humbled Himself for us. And then we come to verses 9 through 11. I love the end of this passage. Jesus willingly humbles himself, and then God the Father is going to do something as a result. The first word there in verse 9 is therefore, right? So we see Jesus humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then the next word, therefore. Right? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There are a number of names that I could proclaim here from the pulpit that a number of you would know. There might be even some names that I think everybody in here would know. People in our culture who we have esteemed to one degree or another, and so there is name recognition. It might be an athlete. It might be an artist, it might be a scholar. People pay great sums of money to buy their work, to see them perform, to get an autograph, to take a selfie with them, whatever. All sorts of people whose names have been exalted, and so all sorts of people know them, right? I think of a time when when I was a kid. I, I can't remember if I waited in line or my dad waited in line, but I grew up in Minnesota, so uh, and was a sports fan, so of all things Minnesota, there was this tight end uh, from the Minnesota Vikings. He was fine, uh, but never great, and his name was Steve Jordan. Uh, and, and I was so excited to get Steve Jordan's autograph. The thing that was exciting wasn't his greatness, it was just the fact that he came to my little hometown uh, and he was there in our high school gym, and I like I couldn't believe like Steve Jordan is here, and like he signed this. Like I have this picture of the Minnesota Vikings in like the early '90s, and it's signed by Steve Jordan, right? So all these different people that in our culture we esteem, but a hundred years from now, nobody's going to have a clue who most of them are. Right, But we read here in verse 9 that the Jesus who died on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago is the one on whom God has bestowed this kind of honor. Right, Highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that, there, there's, there's a point of this. God the Father exalting Jesus the Son. His name above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven 
and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are world leaders who have a great deal of power and governments who to varying degrees demand submission, but only Jesus is Lord. And one day, every human being will acknowledge this. The only right response to the Lordship of Jesus is bowing your knee and confessing with your tongue. And one day, this is how all will respond, either voluntarily or involuntarily, because this is true. Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? We don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I know a lot of times an application point in a message is now go and do this. This is kind of a go and do this, but this is more just like a I, just worship. Like, will you read a verse like that? I mean, certainly there's stuff for us to work on, right? We're not humble, and we're not always unified. But like in the end, you may have noticed that most of the songs we've sung this morning have this phrase in there, "Hallelujah!" Right? Praise the Lord. That's that's what we're that that's that's an application of the message of Philippians two one through eleven is worship Jesus. The good news that we are saved to proclaim that brings us and others joy is this good news that Jesus is Lord. This that motivates our lives, helping us to see that a lot of our little divisions and opinions and preferences are kind of petty and silly. That as a church, we can only be unified and humble as we see and stand in awe of Jesus, who is the exalted Lord. We see the worthiness of the Son as He is exalted by the Father. We see that He is worthy of praise and the submission of everyone. We stand in reverence. We fall down in awe. We bow our knees in submission. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's that good news that compels us to live together with countercultural. Christ-like humility and unity so that the lost and dying world would know the truth that Jesus is Lord. That's why earlier we sang, all the redeemed washed by His blood, come and rejoice in His great love, oh praise Him, hallelujah. Christ has defeated every sin, cast all your burdens now on Him, oh praise Him, Hallelujah. And then this, He will return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, praise Him. Hallelujah. Then who shall fall on bended knee? All creatures of our God and King. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. That's why we sing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. And that's why we're going to close with a great hymn, that includes these words, lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you that you have above all things, above all names, exalted the name of Your Son. Thank You for 
the loving submission of Son to the Father and the exaltation of Father to the Son. I thank You that You, God, are, 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 are one God in three persons, fully worthy of all of our worship, not just a song we sing through our lips, but attitudes of our minds and hearts that would come to shape the way that we live together with one another. It's so unnatural for us to live in unity and humility with one another, exalting Jesus as Lord, because we like to act like, like we're Lord, like we're King, uh, and like our way is what's going to make everybody else happy. We like to look after our own interests and not the interests of others. We're, we're filled with selfish ambition and conceit, not counting other people more significant than ourselves. So God, I pray that as we look at Jesus together as a church over and over and over again, that as we do that on Sunday morning, that as we do that uh, on our own, that as we do that in our families during times of family worship, during times of, of personal devotions and time with you, that when we open your word, that we would see Jesus exalted and that in worshiping him, that would shape the way that we live with and toward one another for the sake of of the lost and dying world around us who many have yet to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. And God, I pray that if there are those here this morning that are yet to acknowledge that, who are living as though they're Lord, that they would, they would be convicted by Your Holy Spirit in order that they would look to Jesus as the only one who can save. The only one who can say it is finished. The only one who you have exalted. The only one who will return to judge and to reign. Father, we submit ourselves gladly to you and we worship you because you are worthy. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.